Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, joined as always by Steffi Haynes. And today we'll look back at Crawford versus Porter, UFC Vegas 43, Ally Aquinta's retirement, and more. But first, how's it going, Steffi? It's Thanksgiving week. It is. I have a lot to be thankful for. I think lots of us have plenty to be thankful for, but me especially, but I'm not going to bore everybody with the personal details. I am going to say I'm looking forward to the next fight card, and, and I'm really happy that I swerved this past weekend's card. <laughs> so I'll be grilling you on how everything went down. Well, that's going to be really tough because I've tried to flush that entire card out of my memory. <laughs> and unfortunately, I failed. Uh, I, I still have some fleeting memories of the event that uh, I unfortunately may have to answer these questions. Honestly, uh, the weekend sucked. I mean, the card wasn't good. I mean, Crawford's fight was very good, uh, but the undercard was forgettable. And then the Seahawks lost again. We're three and seven. Haven't been this bad uh, since 2011. It, it, it's bleak times. If I could put it in MMA terms, the Seahawks have the offense of a prime Jake Shields striking and the defense of current Diego Sanchez. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. That's pretty bad. That's really yeah. bad. And that's got to hurt your feelings because you love them so much. Yes. I wish they'd love me back. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I suppose that uh, if there's any good news out of the weekend is I'm boosted up. So I've got that going for me. And uh, judging by all the data, it looks like everybody else should be getting their booster as well. Um, it, it, otherwise, this spike is going to keep happening and we don't need to keep having this every winter. So get that booster if you haven't already, because it's widely available now, at least in the U.S. So let's get to um, UFC Vegas 43, and you get to grill me on this. But before we do that, why don't you head on over to Spotify, where you can search for Bloody Elbow Presents in the search bar, of course, where else would you find us? Then once you find Bloody Elbow Presents, you hit that subscribe button, and you've got fresh content most days of the week, including this week. We've got several shows, filler shows for the holidays in lieu of a UFC card. Um, so USC Vegas 43, the last show before Thanksgiving. Very, very, very bad card. Just one finish out of 11 fights. And it, it came from an unexpected source. We don't normally get a lot of finishes in the women's flyweight division. But Tyler Santos got it against Joanne Wood. And she really just dominated her from start to finish. But the main events, um, Ketlin Vieira got the decision win over Misha Tate. And that fight was just not good. Not good at all. And there goes Tate's comeback as far as her ever having aspirations for fighting for the title one last time. Uh, Vieira outstruck her and perhaps most impressively denied Tate's wrestling. So, so Tate's takedowns were very ineffective and uh, it, it was just not very good MMA at all, though. I just I, I can't get excited. Like Tate didn't look very good and Vieira doesn't really have what it takes to me to be a future title challenger. Kind of sums up a lot of the women's bantamweight division, I'm afraid. All right, I have a couple of questions. First of all, I saw lots and lots of video clips of the oil check. Did it work? Did it do anything? Uh, it didn't. All right. The, the only thing it did is it got us talking about the fight in, in some way, because otherwise it was just meandering kickboxing that, that just 
bleed it over from one round to the other. Uh, and also Tate's, I said that she was an enthusiastic tracker, not a, a great tracker. Well, unfortunately for her, she throws her strikes from so far out of position that Viera could have countered her pretty much w whenever she wanted. And Tate's face was pretty busted up by the end of the fight. And despite the usual uh, one-sided commentary in the main event, I mean, Cormier just gets on one track just like Rogan and sticks with it. There was no doubt that Viera was comfortably winning. She had the more effective offense all the way. All right, second question. There were some people out there that were scoring this for Tate. Is that even a possibility? What the hell were they watching? I mean, you I'm cannot talking... conceivably give a card to Tate. Like, you could sooner give Vieira all five rounds, and even that would be bad scoring. But still, it is more defensible to give her all five rounds than to give Tate three. It was that clear. Okay, because I actually saw media members scoring this fight for Tate. And I was like, wow, this is so lopsided because most of the people I know are just saying it was a complete blowout. Now, the last thing I want to ask you about this fight, does Ketlin Vieira look like she is any way, shape or form ready for Amanda Nunes or even the number two person? Who no. is the number two person at that Oop. It might be Holly Holm. I, I don't even know uh, at this point based on the rankings. But Vieira, uh, she un, unofficially, well, actually officially, she got outlanded 122-113 in significant strikes. But you know that they don't score fights that way by just pure counting numbers. Uh, and Vieira's strikes were, were, more, were more potent and more noticeable and more damaging than, than Tate's were. This was mostly a, a, a striking matchup. Tate got one takedown officially out of six attempts. So that this became a largely kickboxing fight, kickboxing-centric fight, meant that Tate was always going to have a difficult time winning this one. Okay. All right. Well, I guess you answered all my questions on that. Next. Yeah. So Michael Chiesa, Sean Brady. That was a better fight. Still wasn't excellent, but uh, Sean Brady won a decision over Chiesa. Uh, I think it was 29-28 across the board. And Sean Brady is just so damn strong because he – we, we, you look at Kiesa and it looks like he should be fighting at 185. He doesn't look out of place at middleweight when you look at his frame. But Brady was able to get him down a couple of times in the fight and just generally outgrappled him. However, Kiesa outstruck Brady. And if there was one, if this was a five round fight, and to me, this fight was more justifiable for five rounds than Tate versus Vieira, even with the rankings uh, disparity that Brady's not in the top 10 at the time. If this was a five-rounder, I think Kiesa could have stopped Brady because Sean gasped pretty hard. And part of it was because Kiesa was drilling Brady to the body with knees. All right. Um, here are my questions on that. Number one, lots of people were saying that uh, Kiesa looks done. Is this correct or did he just fight a beast? I don't agree with that at all. I, th I think that Kiesa has gotten better as a striker. I, I say this offensively. He's gotten better. He's not going to be a world beater, but he's a lot better than he used to be. And he gave Brady something to think about. And in fact, the difference in this fight was the fact that Brady was able to outgrapple Chiesa. And otherwise, Brady showed some some showed some vulnerabilities to his game that I think would be exploited at a higher end. So Chiesa is probably not going to be a title challenger at 170, but he should still be a high level gatekeeper. Okay. All right. Um, and where do, you, where do you place Sean Brady right now? Do you give him Kiesa's number six or do you put him a little lower? 
I think you got to put him a, a little lower. Uh, I think Kamzat Shemaev would be able to beat him, uh, and certainly a couple other top welterweights. So, for example, if you did Covington versus Sean Brady, I, I just think that Brady would, would gas out against Covington, whether in a three-rounder or a five-rounder. Gilbert Burns would beat up Brady. Vicente Luque, probably not a good matchup for Brady either. But if you give him the Neil Magny test, and Magny's at number eight, that could be compelling. But um, yeah, Sean Brady's still undefeated. He's a really good fighter. I just think that there's a lot to work on, and especially that gas tank, because one thing for sure, Kiesa does not fade. Okay, final question. What fight do you give Kiesa next? Hmm, that's difficult. I, I know Zane suggested Li Jingliang, and that, that would be interesting because we just saw Li get big brother by Chimaya, but a lot of people do. And Li has the power to, to give Kiesa problems on the feet, but uh, I think that Kiesa deserves a, a minor step down in competition because to get Luke and then the sh this up-and-comer and Brady back-to-back, -back, I mean, that that's a pretty difficult set of fights. But yeah, probably the, the Jingliang fight is something I can get behind. Okay. All right. All right. Bring on the next one. Well, let's see what other interesting fights. Well, Tyler Santos, here's the, the brief summary. Joanne Wood had nothing for her on the feet, nothing for her on the ground. Santos knocked her down twice. And I believe those those are the first two knockdowns suffered of, of JoJo's UFC career. And then uh, Santos eventually got the uh, fight ending rear naked choke in four minutes and 49 seconds. It was just not competitive at all. Where do you send JoJo Calderwood? Do you send her outside of the rankings? Do you send her to another promotion entirely? And what do you do with Tyler Santos? I don't think it sends Wood out of the UFC, but she's out of title contention. I, I think it's no way back for her because she's lost three out of four. And whatever you think of the Lauren Murphy decision, she got finished by Santos and Jennifer Maya. So... I just don't see a way back for toward, towards the top. She'll probably be, what, below the top 10 in the rankings. I don't remember where, where she was ranked at the time of the fight. But Tyla Santos, she's very close to a title shot when you consider how she's performed since the loss to Mara, uh, Mara Romero Barella. Beat Molly McCann, Jillian Robertson, Roxanne Modafferi. JoJo is her best win to date. I would think that, say, a number one contender fight between her and KGB Lee would be the way to go. Okay. And who do you pair off JoJo with, though? You have to pair off with someone if we're not sending her out of the UFC. I don't quite know yet. Uh, she could probably be used as a, I don't want to say a stepping stone, but like a litmus test for prospects, for example. Mm. Uh, if, if you did uh, a fight between her and Miranda Maverick. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so just just to clarify, Joanne Will was ranked number five. Yeah, she's going to drop pretty hard, but to tell you what, the fact that Jessica I is number eight mm. and Calvillo is number nine tells you the lack of depth in this division. But Santos is clearly someone who belongs in the top five. Uh, if you did JoJo versus uh, Casey O'Neill, well, you can't do that because Montefiore is fighting her. Manon Fioro, that might be a bad matchup for her, but Fioro looks like another up-and-comer. It just feels like it's hard to match make Wood at this point. If she's not fighting an up-and-coming prospect, she's going to need a considerable step down in competition. Indeed. Okay. All right, next. Yeah, so what else happened? The Ronnie Yaya Kyung Ho Kang fight was not, <laughs> it wasn't good, but it was also weird in the sense that Ronnie Yaya managed to win with the bare minimum just out grappling Kang. And Kang gave the fight away because he hurt Yaya in the first round, he hurt him in the third round, but he ended up 
being on his back for almost all of the second and third. And you won that pick. <laughs> yeah, it we was Logan stuck Blake. with it. Well, I didn't expect Kang to 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 be that far advanced uh, uh, over Yaya on the feet. I didn't expect him to have that much power, but uh, he's too much of a willing grappler. And he just made some dumb mistakes. The second round, he got taken down off of a naked kick. And then in the third round, he hurts Yaya. He's on the verge of knocking him out. And then he follows into the ground. And what do you think happens? Okay. He gets reversed and he spends the rest of his rest of the fight on his back. Instant you, L. You know, Yaya is so tough because we often see him take a lot of damage and recover enough to just snare somebody in a trap. Yeah, I respect Roddy Yaya so much because how old is he now? 30... 37. He just turned 37 in September. Yeah, he's 37. He's won five of his last seven. His only losses would be to Enrique Barzola and Ricky Simone. All right, Barzola's out of the UFC, I'm pretty sure. But Ricky Simone is a, is a mainstay in the promotion. He's just exceptionally hard to, to cleanly defeat. He's kind of like Damian Maia in that sense. And the fact that his game still works this well in 2021 is a testament to his abilities. I've been doing it for 19 years. Damn right. A WEC OG as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Next. Well, the, the last fight that we should talk about, because it wasn't like there was a lot to talk about in the prelims, Davy Grant and Adrian Yanez. Oh, boy. That was a deserved fight of the night. Yanez What's up got with the Tony Weeks, though? Got to get that in there real quick. There is no goddamn way that Grant won all three rounds of that fight. That That is nuts. He, he, there's a slim case for giving in the fight, but a 30-27 for Grant is inexcusable. The only thing that comforted me as far as Weeks being that judge is that I knew he couldn't be at the Crawford Porter fight later that evening. <laughs> oh, so, my God. <laughs> that was kind of a process of elimination thing. So he could go ruin MMA fights instead of boxing. But Yanez, he is such a slick striker. And Grant, I think, is too weird for his own good. Because he likes to throw a lot of funky stuff, and it leads to him getting countered. And uh, Yanez has got a decided speed advantage. But boy, they both have incredible chins on them. Th th this is a fight that if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it in full. Because it's just Bantamweight, I won't say at its best, but it just is a microcosm of how great the Bantamweight division is. I shall. Now, what happened with Sean O'Malley and Adrian Yanez? I saw a lot of a guff on Twitter about that. What, what was going on there? I have no clue because I've not been paying attention to Twitter beasts recently, but if they're begging to fight each other, why the hell not? Although I think O'Malley's got, um, what's the name? Holly and Paiva mm -hmm. next, but it seems like O'Malley's trying to, to, I won't say be McGregor like, but he's been beefing with quite a few fighters lately. Yeah, but he has, he has fun hearted beef. He, he's not really an asshole. No, he isn't. There's certainly an asshole we can talk about from the prelims. Uh, Cody Durden. I don't know if you've seen this. I sound I, like I, I'm doing a late night uh, sitcom. I or did, late night, um, but I want show. you to go ahead and say it anyways. Wow. So Cody Durden beat Orichi Lang by decision. It was a pretty good fight. And then in the post-fight interview, he said of, of Orichi Lang, he knew he'd be tough, but he had to send it back to China where he came from. And... I tell you what, that line already sounds off the alarm bells, but it was so jarring to hear it that Cormier did not offer up a follow-up question. I assume that the producers in the truck said, cut this interview now. 
And it was just awkward silence for the next 15, 20 seconds on the broadcast. Like Cormier didn't know what to do. Brendan Fitzgerald didn't know what to say. And then Durden was just unapologetic in the uh, press conference. And if you wanted to erase any doubt, because he, he said it, it wasn't a, a racial thing or, or, or anything of that sort, there is a tweet of his where he says he, he bleeds red, white, and blue, and that he says he can't wait to beat up that communist Orichi Lang. Well, there's a lot of tweets that people have dug up of his, and I actually saw one that is still on his timeline. And trust me, the man is a racist. Tell you what, normally I would expect the USC to just sit on their hands and not do anything, but they are so heavily invested in building their brand in China, that a comment like that may actually make them take action, especially since Durden is a non-entity. He's not a, a top 10 fighter or anything, but really it, it, it's so uncalled for. And I know I'm not triggered by it. I know people are gonna try and, and tweet at me, but it's a shitty thing to say. And, and certainly the way he, he constructed it, he loses all benefit of the doubt that he, he tried to make it you know, not not some sort of personal thing or, or, or prejudice thing based on his tweets. And I, I've seen his Facebook page as well. So it, it's pretty obvious where he stands. He can still have a fighting career, but that's the type of statement that you just don't make. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Now let's get to the boxing. Because yes, I, I did get, get to catch bits and pieces of it, but I did not watch it all. So I would love the rundown. Yeah, so uh, Terrence Crawford became the first man to stop Sean Porter. He knocked him down twice in the 10th round. And then Kenny Porter, Sean's dad, did the somewhat controversial move of throwing in the towel after the second knockdown, even though Porter beat the count and he said he was ready to continue. Uh, the scorecards at the time, Crawford was up 86-85 on two of them and 87-84 on the other one. I had it 86-85 Crawford as well. Some of the people who scored it for Sean Porter obviously were tuned into the ESPN plus broadcast where it felt like Timothy Bradley was being a, a, a Sean Porter Homer. And I like Timothy, but like that broadcast was unlistenable, but still Crawford is just a marvelous boxer to watch because Porter gave him a tough fight. He gives everybody tough fights, but Crawford knew that he was going to be able to figure him out. And Porter for as much as I can credit him for giving people tough, uh, tough fights He's got fatal flaws offensively that the very best can exploit. And him overswinging and, and just lunging forward recklessly got him, got him caught in the 10th, got dropped with a counter left hand, and then Crawford eventually dropped him again later in the round with a, a flurry of punches, including a devastating right hand. And I, I know that people were upset with the decision by uh, Kenny Porter to stop the fight. I had no problem with it because you know what would have happened? There's a minute and a half left in that round. Terrence Crawford is one of the best finishers in the sport. Porter's only going to get hurt worse. Now, I, I got to hear about the post-fight interview with Crawford because from what I'm seeing on Bloody Elbow from Anton Tabuena, it sounded like maybe Crawford said something to the effect that he's moving on without Bob Arum and with Bob Arum standing right next to him. Oh, that was no chill. So if you're not... Uh, up to speed on, on the, the world of boxing business. That was the last fight of Crawford's top rank contracts. He's a free agent now and he could work on a fight by fight basis with any promoter he wants, much like Can uh, Canelo does at the moment, or he could re up with top rank. But then Crawford said, I, I, I think I'm, I've, I've made up my mind. And he all but said, if, if Bob didn't get me the Spence fight, why would I want to stay with them? So, and, and to say that right next to Bob, who you could tell has got steam coming out of his ears like a cartoon. That, that that was unbelievable and was badass. I think that Crawford is done with top rank. And it's not to, to, to be just 
dumping on top rank, but they don't have a good welterweight division, and they have not historically played all that. They haven't played nice with with PBC on a consistent basis. They have for the absolute biggest fights, meaning Crawford Porter and um, Fury versus Wilder, but historically not so much. So I feel that Crawford wants the Spence fight, or he wants consistently bigger fights, and top rank can't offer that to him. And he's right. Yeah, and I know Keith Thurman just came out of hibernation to say that he, he wants the, the Crawford fight. And I'm going, where the hell have you been? Thank you. Did, weren't we talking about this just about two, three months ago? The where's Waldo of boxing is Keith Thurman? Yeah, he didn't say shit when Spence was on the rise and then unified the titles. Uh, but two years later, Spence, uh, well, well, we'll get to Spence in a second, but you got Crawford potentially coming over to PBC and Thurman's got his ears perked up. Uh, I, I tell you what, Crawford would work Keith Thurman. Yes, he it, would. it wouldn't be pretty at all. And what amused me getting back to Spence is Errol attended the fight. And then after the fight was stopped, he, he just got up and left. Wow. He literally left the arena and, and Crawford was asked about it in the, in the in-ring post-fight interview. And he said, Oh, Errol was at, he was at my fight. <laughs> I don't know if he was joking or if he, if he was serious, but that seemed pretty amusing to me. Um, also, his comments about how the way he did Porter as opposed to the way Spence did Porter. Yeah, it's it's the boxing equivalent of MMA math, otherwise yeah. known as boxing math. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so Spence dropped Porter, but he couldn't finish him. Crawford dropped Porter twice, and he did finish him. And he's got eight knockouts in a row, whereas Spence... I think his last knockout was against Carlos Ocampo, and that's one of the IBF's numerous terrible mandatories. Uh, but Crawford, his power is is just something fierce. And it's not just his power. It's how brilliant he is as a boxer. Yeah. His countering, his ability to fight out of orthodox and southpaw. He switched to southpaw in the second round and stayed there for the rest of the fight. Man. And I tell you what, his jab on point, he didn't jab nearly as often as, as I thought he would, but he knows how to fight Porter effectively on the inside too because porter tried to to do the usual roughhousing stuff but you might not know this well steffi you know but our listeners might not know crawford used to be a wrestler so that comes in handy in situations like that where there is yes grappling and boxing and clinch work and all that stuff so if porter thought he could wear crawford down he didn't didn't come remotely close and a great crowd too i think it was most it was sold out he had eleven thousand people in there i have a feeling that it might have done well on pay-per-view we'll see later in the week but if you're pbc and you get crawford at least for this next fight there's no reason that you should be marinating crawford versus spence now it the one caveat here is that i don't know if spence is going to jump to a Crawford fight right away after coming off of a of surgery for a retinal tear. That's a pretty serious thing to deal with. That's why he didn't fight Pacquiao. But if it's not immediately next, it's got to be sometime in 2022. Because I don't think Spence is going to stay at 147 much longer. He's, he definitely cuts a lot of weight to get to 147. But Danny Garcia is moving up to 154. Sean I Porter like retired. Yeah. Sean Porter retired. He just retired after the uh, at the post-fight press conference. So he's, he said he was going to retire, win, lose, or draw. He didn't want to be a gatekeeper. Keith Thurman, okay, maybe you want to do Crawford Thurman to set up a, a fight with Spence, whatever. But your Dennis Ugas, that fight doesn't draw at all, and Crawford would outbox Ugas, no doubt about it. So what options are there? I would think you would want to do Crawford Spence. I, I don't want to say the strike while the iron is hot, but it's the fight people want to see. It looked like we weren't going to see it based on the, the timelines and everything happening with the pandemic. But 
2022, if Crawford and Spence are under the same banner, you make that damn fight. And at that point, I would think the onus would be on both fighters for wanting the fight to happen. Yep. And I want it to happen. I want it to happen. The onus should be on me and you. Yes, we, we got to will this to, into, <laughs> into reality because it's not going to be one and a half, two million pay-per-views. Uh, it's not going to be that mega pay-per-view yeah. event like like we've seen for Mayweather fights, for example, or, or, or a lot of Canelo's fights. But it's a fight that captures the imagination of a lot of boxing fans, and it's 50-50. It's a fight that is genuinely difficult to predict because Spence uh, can certainly catch Crawford, and he is a damn good boxer. Where And of course... Crawford is the best boxer that Spence has faced. There, there are so many unknowns that make that fight so captivating and intriguing to watch. But I, I, I just want to say for Sean Porter, good on him for retiring. He is an analyst for PBC on Fox. He did some work for NBC at the Olympics. And he seems to be, by all accounts, one of the good guys in the sport. And he really did fight everybody. He's a fighter's fighter. He fought um, Kel Brook in his prime. He fought Paulie Malignaggi when Malignaggi was still relevant. Ditto Adrian Broner, Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, Errol Spence, and then Terrence Crawford. He fought Ugas. He beat some of them. He lost to some of them. But his three losses prior to, to Crawford, majority decision to Brooke, a close unanimous decision to Thurman, and a um, split decision that really shouldn't have been a split, but it's nevertheless a split against Spence. You don't just easily defeat Sean Porter. And even for Crawford, he got the knockout in the end, but the cards were close at the time. So... I think that his retirement is going to stick, and at least he got one good final payday because, as I said, Porter got $4 million for this reportedly, just for the minimum, and Crawford got $6 million. Good. I love hearing that. And I would imagine that a Crawford-Spence fight would probably draw somewhere in the neighborhood of four hundred to 500,000 pay-per-views. That's, that's my estimate because that's I a think big be- fight to make. I think it would be higher than that. I think it would be – it wouldn't be a million – but it would be very high up there because that would be the type of fight where PBC, whether it's on Fox or Showtime, would promote the hell out of it, and deservedly so, because I think that there could be some bad blood between Crawford and Spence, and we know the timelines of those two and what they've said to each other over the years, but just just make that damn fight. We, we've been on a good run with boxing these last several weeks because we got yeah. Joshua Usyk, um, Fury Wilder 3. Uh, Canelo Plant. Canelo Plant. Munguia uh, Rosado is what oh I was thinking goodness. of. Oh, my goodness, yes. And, and then Crawford versus Porter. And, and we we got to keep this gravy train rolling. It, it's been a lull. It's not been a great year overall, but the last couple of months just been dynamite. Manifest. We have to manifest this into being. Yes, absolutely. And I got to manifest ESPN into producing their boxing shows <laughs> a lot better than they do. I am tired of them dealing with undercard fights as if they are not worth talking about and showing us split screens of Sean Porter or Terrence Crawford getting their hands wrapped. What does that add to the broadcast? I already bought the pay-per-view. Nothing. It adds nothing. But, you know, that's that's how they're going to do it. Now, we have to get on track here with the news. But before we do, please go over to SoundCloud, get to the search bar, type in Bloody Elbow Presents, and get yourself... Many, many days of free premium content doesn't cost you a penny. Now, we offer at least five days of premium content, sometimes six days, sometimes even seven days. But you will always get five days. Even this holiday week, you're going to get five days of content. And it's all fresh, too. So 
back on track. After 12 years as a professional fighter, nine of which he spent inside the octagon, inside the UFC, Al Iaquinta, raging Al Iaquinta is calling it a career. Now, the 34-year-old lightweight competitor announced his retirement in a recent episode of his podcast, The Call Me Al Show. And what he said... Um, he has a co-host and his co-host asked him about it. He said, fighting again? I'm thinking that's it, man. I'm thinking that's it. That's the way to go out. Obviously, you want to go out on a win, but this shit's not worth it, dude. You saw Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje fight. Those guys, they beat the hell out of each other, and that wasn't worth it. Now, if you go back in your memory palace to UFC 268, you will remember that Al was knocked out by Bobby Green in the first round. It was a TKO, but I mean, it, it was it was a sound one. There was no question about it. And he he talked about that. And I'm going to read to you the transcript of what he said. He said it was the first fight that I was really like, you know, I gave up. I gave in. He didn't knock me unconscious and I kind of turned and I covered up. I was still conscious and I knew what I was doing, but I kind of just wanted out. That was it. I realized that he hit me hard. It probably was not going to be a good night for me. I was not confident in my preparation, in my cardio, my wrestling. These guys are training hard. These guys are training three times a day, two times a day, really hard. My body just can't hold up to that anymore. It was the first time in my career ever that I gave up in a fight. And you know what? That is some serious, serious self-awareness right there. And I commend him for that because there are so many Diego Sanchez types out there that have to be shown the door. But Al Iaquinta, nope. It only took him one time to realize that his heart, his mind, and his body wasn't in it. And I, I like that. I appreciate that. I salute him and I wish him the best because I don't want to see him in there just getting busted up time after time after time. He had great fights with Kevin Lee and Joe Lozon, even Diego Sanchez. He stepped in on a day's notice, less than a day's notice, and fought Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now, Nurmagomedov beat his butt. However, he gave him a few good licks in there. And I mean, he went the distance. I don't know. I just, I feel like this is a good thing. And I wish other fighters would look at him and take notes. I think this re retirement will stick. Not, not the least of which, because independent of what he said about his fighting career, New York real estate is very expensive. And therefore, any sale he gets, that commission is going to be sweet. <laughs> but uh, beyond that, these recent fights, like the Bobby Green fight that looked, and, and we talked about it before, he looked a shell of himself. Uh, almost like his heart wasn't fully in it. Right. And the, the interview pretty much in, indicates as such. It, it really isn't worth it. And he's butted heads with the UFC before. We're well aware of that. Don't forget the bonus ban, remember? Yeah, yeah. So at, at his best, he was on a hell of a winning streak. Uh, so before the, um, the Khabib fight on short notice, he had beaten Rodrigo Dam, Ross Pearson, Joe Lozon, uh, Jorge Masvidal, and then <laughs> had some words for the crowd and then knocked out Diego Sanchez. I think he was supposed to fight Paul Felder before that became the Khabib fight. And then, okay, he loses to Khabib, no shame in that. Beats Kevin Lee again, this time over five rounds. But that Cerrone fight, 
it was it doubled as Donald Cerrone's last really great performance, and also maybe the first sign of Viaquinta's decline because he was less competitive against Dan Hooker, and then totally not competitive against Bobby Green after being out for so long. So that this sport is unforgiving. Uh, I'm. I love Al as a personality. He's a fun dude to, to to listen to and a fun fighter historically. But 34 years old, this 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 sport takes a toll on you. And I think he's well aware that's a path to, to getting another title shot that isn't some freak circumstance is virtually impossible. So I hope he enjoys his retirement. And he keeps on selling houses in the Long Island area. Absolutely. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, too, because he's a really cool person. Yeah, it doesn't it just feel... I think I brought this up before that we're witnessing kind of a, a generational shift just within the Saralongo camp because yeah. there's him, there's Weidman, Vellante just retired. And I know Vellante is, doesn't really belong in the same sentence as the other two in terms of, of, of their respective peaks, but still you've got the newer crop. Like Aljo was still there, but Aljo was just younger than those fighters. And then you have Devalish Philly. Yeah. And I don't know any of the up-and-comers outside of Devalishvili, though. They haven't really made a stamp with anyone outside of him. Normally, they have, you know, two or three guys up at the same time. But we had Aljo and Devalishvili, while the other two were falling, literally sliding at, uh, at a pretty rapid clip downhill. Yeah, and it's also the story in the case of... Um... Wyman and Iaquinta and potentially Sterling too, mm-hmm. how their bodies are just falling apart on them. Yeah. Sterling is the champion right now, but I, I'm he's worried had about multiple his, his surgeries neck. over the past four or five years. He's had hand surgeries, neck surgeries, back surgeries, knee surgery, shoulder surgery. Yeah. Wyman, we know too many to count. And Iaquinta's had a couple of injuries too. Mm-hmm. He so, had that, the knee, the knee. Ex- exactly. So it, all the best to 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 Ray Janelle. and uh, yeah, I, I think this retirement seems pretty logical and not one where he's going to be coming back and then wanting to go to bare knuckle boxing. I don't. I think that's beneath him. I think so too. I don't think that his pride would allow him to. Yep. Now I just brought up that Iaquinta had fought Dan Hooker a couple years back. Well, Dan Hooker is in an interesting spot at 155 because he had the loss to to Michael Chandler. He bounced back with a win against Nazareth Hakparas, but he was submitted by Islam Makachev, and now he's hinting at a weight class change. He told the Mac Life's Oscar Willis, I'm doing a little something-something at the moment. Got to make your next move your best move. Let's just say I'm working with the UFC and a fight dietitian very closely, and I'm doing a little test run, and we'll see. I'll be able to answer every question on next week's show. So that, that, that's pretty vague there. It could either be he's going back down to 145. God, I hope not. I really don't want to see him kill himself like that. Or he's going up to 170. And I think 170 is is a weaker division than 145. In fact, I don't even think. I know 170 mm-hmm. is a weaker division than 145. I, I can understand Hooker's point of view, where his upward mobility at lightweight is clearly stalled out. He lost to Poirier. He lost to Chandler. He lost to Makachev. That's a... a couple of title challengers and a future title challenger, potentially a future champion in Poirier as, as soon as three weeks from now. So he, he's kind of stuck there, but I don't want to see him go back down to 145, even if it looks good in theory. I, I feel like 170 wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I have to agree. I don't want to see him break his body down like that. Too many people end up a shell of themselves because they do just that. 
Jose Aldo notwithstanding, because you know what? I I was very critical of that, and it's turned out great. But not everybody is Jose Aldo. Yeah, you look at featherweights, and for Hooker, the other issue here is Volkanovski's the champion. Yeah. Is he going to fight his teammate? No. I don't no, think I, he I even that. gets there. I don't think he yes. even gets there. Yeah, and then you look at how deep featherweight is. I, I was totally unaware Alex Caceres is now back in the rankings. That's wow. wild. But still, Shane Burgos is 14th. Edson Barboza, who beat Hooker at 155, is number 10. So I, I just don't see Dan Hooker with a weight class change necessarily having that skill set to, to crack the top five. It's a really deep division filled with guys who can absolutely beat him, outstrike him, or even outwrestle him. So I, I love Dan Hooker's fights, but uh, maybe 170 is the better route. Now, still, he's going to be undersized against outstanding wrestlers like Usman or, or Covington, I wouldn't say, is an outstanding wrestler, but he's relentless. And then you have, excuse me, Sean Brady, Orkiesa, et cetera, et cetera. But yet the, the path to being in the top 10, I think, is easier at 170 than it is for him at featherweight. God, can you imagine him and Vicente Luque? Yikes. Yeah, yeah that, that would be pure war. Or if you wanted to do something very, very, you know, something lower end, like, say, the Jeff Neal Santiago Ponzinibbio winner. I, see, I like that. I like that a lot. But I don't like the idea of him fighting the Luques and people like that because I feel like that he gets stomped there too. Inside that top 10, he gets stomped either direction he goes. But uh, you're right. There's more mobility at 170 than there is at 145 because he gets murdered at 145, in my opinion. Yeah, he does. And he uh, MMA Mania had, had pointed this out in 2017. I think this is after he, he had, well, it has to have been, after he, he went up to lightweights because he started out as a featherweight. He said uh, he had no interest in returning to, to 145. It'd take a million bucks to get me down to featherweight. I ain't going back. <laughs> so either he got a million bucks and the UFC decided to be generous with its money, or he had to walk back that statement. Gosh, I hope he doesn't walk back that statement, though. I really want him to go the other way. <laughs> I, I do too, but the, the, such is life for, for certain fighters who are stuck in, in a certain division, and he, he just can't really contend at the elite level at 155, so he's going, what do I do? Do I go back down to 145? And, and I got it. I'm leaning towards 145 being what he wants to do when he's bringing up the dietitian, um, but at, at 170... The, the risk, of course, would be that he's going to be undersized. And just mathematically speaking, 155 to 170, that's the weight class where you start having the 15-pound and 20-pound intervals. So I don't know. Uh, if he absolutely wants to change weight classes, let it be 170. At 145, there are too many people who can beat him. Yeah. From my recollection, at 145, he fought uh, Yair Rodriguez and lost to him by decision. So he has two losses if that's – if that's the case. He has two losses against active top 10 145ers. Yeah. I don't want to so, see it. I don't want to see it. <laughs> think think this through, Dan. Think this through. All right. Let's get to some other stuff that happened over the weekend in combat sports, including the Irish hand grenade. Yes. Marcus Davis is fighting in 2021, 48 years old. 
and he was on a regional card in Springfield, Massachusetts, Premier FC 32. He fought uh, Steven Stengal, and if you read this too quickly, you'd think it's Steven Seagal, but that's only if you're a very poor reader because his name is S-T-E-P-H-E-N. But he choked him out by triangle. So that is his first triangle choke win in his 33-fight career. Uh, I believe the last time Marcus Davis fought in the UFC was in 2011. He was pretty much always nailed on for a fight of the night bonus. He was that entertaining to watch. His last MMA fight was 2014, but he'd been itching to return since 2020. You can see the finish on his Instagram page. But I th this caught me off guard until like a couple of days before the event because Kaposa, who else? had tweeted out the poster and Marcus Davis was not only on the card, but Henan Burrell was supposed to be, <gasps> wow. but Burrell would, uh, had to withdraw because I think his opponent couldn't make the fight. So it got canceled, but, uh, I'm not endorsing 48 year olds still competing in MMA. Cause I got a feeling Davis isn't going to be fighting sub 500 dudes forever, but good for him. Um, okay. I get, all right. <laughs> I don't even know what to say here. 48. I didn't even know Marcus Davis was that old for starters, but I'll never forget how indignant and self-righteous he got over some, some back and forth fight talk between him and Dan Hardy. And he just was brutal about it you know just got so mad and angry and slung all sorts of insults because dan hardy said he was gonna beat him and dan hardy questioned if i if irishmen actually wore kilts <laughs> so you know i'm just i'll never get that out of my head but 48 years old ain't good on him for getting fights and stuff but god that's old really old <laughs> Well, it's it's not just old chronologically, but if you've watched Marcus Davis over the years, you knew that he, there were going to be limitations. There were going to be serious long-term drawbacks to his aggressive style. And just being in so many wars, I remember Ben Saunders just giving him a thousand knees. Yeah. And, and I think he was the first guy to knock Marcus Davis out. And then the Jeremy Stevens fight, I think he hurt Stevens early. And then in the third round, Jeremy just unleashes one of the, the biggest shots ever. And, and knocks Marcus Davis out cold. And he just really doesn't have that sort of punch resistance anymore. He's just taken too many shots. So if he's going to be booked appropriately, unfortunately, I think four and 16 is a safe bet. But anything too far above that, and I'm just fearing the worst. Yeah. My God. I mean, look at. But see, this is this is the problem I have with booking these old guys because you have to set them up with other guys that their records are so bad they're just in there to get mauled and smashed. The way that Masvidal brings in Felony Bennett, oh, that's gross. That's disgusting. And people out there are going to say, oh, but he's giving them a check. Um, if you want to help your friend out, loan him some money, help him find a job. Don't put him in there so he could get his brain scrambled. Yeah, just look at uh, Nate Marquardt recently because we had brought this up. He came back in August. He won by armbar and on a Titan FC card. A couple months later, he fights in Florida and he gets stopped by via body kick and punches. So that that's when the fuzziness of hey, he came back and he won at a, at an advanced stage, and then reality sets in. I don't want to see these old guys fight at all. If you you're... you just know that Scott Coker is keeping tabs. Well. <laughs> <laughs> right? Fedor's what, 45, 46? Yeah. Can, yeah. can Marcus uh, put on the pounds? Oh my. Can, can he put on 40, 50 pounds and make it to heavyweight? Little five foot eight Marcus Davis. 
Isn't he like really short, like 5'8", five, 5'7", five, something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, hey, the Irish hand grenade may not actually be all that Irish. He's, he's from here. But uh, the, Irish needs, the, the Irish needed a win because <laughs> over these last few weeks, Peter Quilly got knocked out by Patricky Pitbull. Sine Kavanaugh got knocked out by, by Chris Cyborg. And then you had um, Jason Quigley on the DAZN card last weekend get stopped by Demetrius Andrade in the second round. And you know you're not very good when Andre can finish you that quickly. So that's another Irishman. And that card was in New Hampshire and was mostly Irish fans in the building. And they, they got to watch their heavy underdog get knocked out again. And I know there's one other fight that I'm thinking of where a, a note of, oh, James Gallagher losing to Patchy Mix. So they've just been taking L's for, for, for weeks at a time. So the Irish hand grenade, Ireland's original best fighter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bringing the franchise back. Anyway, um, <laughs> to wrap this up, Hamza Chimaya beat Jack Hermanson recently. Did you know that? I did uh, not. It wasn't a secret UFC fight. It was a it was a cage wrestling fight, and he won on points. And then afterward, and this is tweeted out by MMA Ejit E E J I T, some dude, not 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 just somebody from his corner, some dude just went into the cage, hugged Chimaya. and then the chaos, uh, all, all hell broke loose. Well, not really, but still. It got chaotic because a bunch of security people are rushing in. Like, how the hell did he get in there? So you, you, you end up with a very confused scene. And Hamzat's luckily nobody was harmed, but uh, not the greatest security in the world when you can have that happen. Where did this take place? Uh, somewhere in Europe, I believe. Okay, okay. You know what? I yeah, want to I... see Hamzat back in the octagon ASAP. That's what I want. ASAP. I don't care who they put him against either. Just let him maul three dudes in a row. Yes, this was in Gothenburg, Sweden, by the way. So okay. it, it was kind of a, a BB in the bill because Hermanson, uh, I think he's fights out of Norway, but is Swedish or the other way around. And then Shemaev has been fighting out of Sweden for the longest while. So it was two three-minute rounds, and it was one of those hybrid shows. They had some boxing fights, they had some MMA, MMA fights, but then the, the wrestling, that happened inside a cage, and Shemaev was able to get the W. And then you just have a fan go in the cage. Well, say what you want about the UFC. They don't have fans storming the cage afterward. No, they do not. But nope. remember Strike Force? <laughs> yes. Remember that melee? <laughs> yes, one of the finest moments in MMA history. I'll tell you what, there was another crazy thing that I haven't fully watched, and of course, Kaposa tweeted it out. This is at Fame MMA in Poland. They did a nine foot by nine foot cage. Really? Genius. And then there was the, the main events involved uh, a guy named. Arkshadus uh, Tarkula and Jacek Moransky, and Moransky is 52 years old. Oh, gross. So gross. let me stop there. <laughs> it gets better. Jacek replaced his own son in the fight. <laughs> let me keep going. Oh, there's he more? Lost by, <laughs> he lost by DQ in round three due to biting. <laughs> he bit him? He bit him. He went full Tyson. <laughs> so, okay, let me get this straight. We have a fight literally inside of a phone booth. Yeah. A 52-year-old man took the place of his son and then got disqualified because he, Mike Tyson, someone. 100% factual. Wow. There's video of it. Oh, like fighting in a nine-foot by nine-foot cage or a luxury apartment in Manhattan. But uh, <laughs> still... <laughs> and we both know this. <laughs> oh, 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 we know this all too well. 
and probably $6,000 a month. But my goodness, you think you've seen everything in MMA? And they just come up with more circus shit. And don't forget, we might not have UFC this weekend, but we got that silly-ass Trigon boxing event, Triad or whatever oh, the hell it's yeah. called. The thriller. But it's not all a lost cause. Metallica's performing on that show. Ew. Don't he, Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I really and, don't and care. But I, I will watch the spectacle of it for sure. Uh, I probably won't. There, there's better boxing on that night. Oh Actual wait, who's boxing. who's boxing that night? You got Teofimo Lopez. That's right. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna stop Cambos. So yes, let's let's yes. be real. But he, he's gonna stop him. But I'll watch Teofimo fight anybody. And then Showtime has got um, Stephen Fulton versus Brandon Figueroa, and that's a 122 pound uh, title fight. And that's gonna be excellent because Figueroa is one of the highest mm -hmm. volume punchers in the sport. But I I just am amazed at the ways that MMA continues to outdo itself. Yeah, you know, I thought it couldn't get any better or and or slash worse than Fight Circus, but clearly I'm wrong. But hey, yeah. did you see the Fight Circus stuff that happened a couple of weeks ago where they actually had two chicks fighting in a real phone booth? <laughs> what? Yeah, oh somebody my God. posted it on Twitter. I think that's what it was. I uh, Well... Obviously, they weren't heavyweights. Eric McGraken posted it. Go to Eric McGraken's page. He's got pictures of it. I think that's what it was. I, I could be mistaken, but I'm almost positive that it was real because he had the picture of it up of two chicks inside the phone booth that they had set inside of a ring. Inside, actually, inside of a cage. Or was it a ring? I can't remember. And he said, oh, my God, these bastards are really doing it. So I'm guessing that it happened but i was doing something else so i didn't actually try to tune in or anything but if you go to eric mcgraken's page you will find that or if you message him you you can find it it was like two weeks ago wow yeah i i i, I ain't got anything to say after that uh, uh one more thing before i i forgot to bring it up for croft reporter kenny porter was interviewed uh -huh. about the, the stoppage and all that and after everything sean did and, and he poured his heart out into that fight for kenny to say of, of his son he didn't prepare the way i wanted him to prepare like that's not something you say out loud with, with thousands of people watching in the arena and millions watching around the world uh, like the, the stoppage itself i thought was totally fine but that's a really bad way to handle it yeah but you know what i still have to salute him for throwing in the towel because especially a family member we just don't see that a whole lot um in mma so every time it happens in boxing and it happens so often in boxing at least it seems that way because we almost never see it in mma um it's refreshing and it reminds me that there are people out there that give a shit about their athletes yep well we last week on level change we had talked about the the personal relationships of uh, John Wood and Joanne Wood yeah. or, or Misha Tate formerly with Brian Carraway and then Aspen Ladd and uh, Jim West. Well, there's also the father-son. So you got the, the parental side of things and we don't really see it in MMA a ton. We had Habib and his father before his father passed. And then we've had uh, AJ McKee and Antonio McKee, but by and large, it's not prevalent in the sport compared to boxing. Maybe 10, 15 years down the line, it will be, but I've seen too many father-son instances where the father is not looking after his son. Like like a few months back, Gabe Flores Jr. was getting his ass whooped. His father refused to stop the fight. And I think he took career-altering damage. So for Kenny Porter, that might have been the most that was not the most tactful way to do it, as far as pretty much throwing his son under the bus afterward. But the process of throwing in the towel when he knew that Porter was beaten, 
I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I'd rather that happen than for Porter to suffer a really bad knockout because Crawford is a mean dude. Yes, he is. But clearly, Sean Porter's father is a mean dude, too. <laughs> well, they've also known each other since the amateurs. So he knows Crawford. Crawford knows Porter. They're, they're buddies. So I think he realized because when Porter got dropped the second time, Porter angrily slammed his fist against the canvas three times almost like out of sheer frustration. So maybe that also had, a, had an impact. And Kenny's saying, I know what's happening here. Let's call it right now before my son has got potentially very serious punishment right. uh, inflicted at the hands of, of somebody he considers a friend. So I, I don't really see the need to call it controversial. I just see it as semi-anticlimactic, but I will take semi-anticlimactic over Porter having something unnecessary. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Um, and Porter's not bad at commentary. So I'm, I'm 100% for him retiring and sticking to that path because I, I don't mind listening to him at all. He's not unlistenable like some people are. Yep. I just wonder why Sean Porter only calls fights on Fox and not, you know, Showtime. That's his nickname. <laughs> That's a good one, right? I've never even thought of that. It's right there, goddammit. Come on, S. Espinosa, get that sorted out. On that note, that is it for this week's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Stephanie Crooklyn MMA, the show itself at Mookie and Crookie. Check us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mookie and Crookie. And Facebook, please stop asking me to do that stupid page publishing authorization form. Anyway, uh, don't forget, you can listen to me and Stephanie alongside Victor Rodriguez on the Level Change podcast on Fridays. Yes, we are recording this week, so there will be a show up on Friday. Stephanie is normally on Care, Don't Care with Eugene S. Robinson and John Nash on Mondays, but you have something different in store. I do. It's a I, Corner. Yes, and I recorded with Rhino from Combat Sports with Rhino, and he's just one of the nicest people. He's got a great podcast, a smooth as silk voice, and what we did was a MMA version of things we're, thanks, uh, we're thankful for, but we did Thanksgiving dinner, so we had appetizers, which are fighters we're thankful for, and then we had the meats, which are fights we're thankful for. We had starches, and you'll you'll get the, the, the reference here. We had starches, which were knockouts we're thankful for, and the desserts were feel-good fights, and after-dinner bourbon was um, anything from the community that we're thankful for that maybe we didn't talk about in those topics. All right. Be on the lookout for you, you had the meats. Uh, are you Arby's? <laughs> well, you know, some people do like prime ribs, some people do turkey, and some people do ham. So I just called it the meats. But the starches had to be the knockouts because, you know, people getting starched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've had quite a few people getting starched this year. Yes. All right, so you can check that out. You can check out Mookie, Crookie, and Level Change, all the other podcasts on the Bloody Elbow Presents rotation. And if you want to know where you can find them, just wait till the very end, and you'll get the full list in the pre-recorded outro. So until next time, please take care of yourselves and join us again for the next show. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple TV, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Best of the Come On Now MMA Podcast, Crookland's Corner, 
the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, Show Money, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. You can also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow and on Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog and of course on bloodyelbow.com.